As we look forward to this coming year, what in your opinion would make this year great? We've spent the last few weeks looking back at 2020 and the historical train wreck that it was in so many ways. And as Steve Brown taught us a few weeks ago, it's biblical and healthy to lament. But we also need to not forget that God is with us, that he is good, and that he goes before us. The discipline of thanksgiving challenges us to remember the moments of blessing, the glimpses of goodness, and the faithfulness of God. But as we change our focus from looking out the rearview mirror at 2020 and we begin to look ahead through the windshield into 2021, let me ask, what would make this year great? I think right off the top of the list would be an end to COVID-19. That those who are sick would get well, that the spread would end and that the strain would ease. That there would be a time of recovery, especially for our frontline workers, our business owners, our individuals and families. For some, what would make this year great would be permission to gather with others, hugs, handshakes, birthday parties, worshiping together. For others, it would be the opportunity to travel again. For school administrators, teachers, and students at every level, a full return to the classroom with predictable routine and schedule would be so great. Unfortunately, many of those things are not in our control. So we have to wait. Be wise. Trust and pray. For most of us, our list would include good health, financial provision, meaningful work, the restoration of relationships. But to be honest, one of my first thoughts wasn't nearly as meaningful or deep as any of those. I just thought it would be great if the Leafs could win the Stanley Cup. I know it's not that important, but they haven't won in my lifetime. They haven't won a playoff series in my son Mitchell's lifetime. The buds are overdue. So what would be on your list? Your top five. Think about it. And then I want you to reflect on this question. What would God put on your list? What do you think he wants for you this year? What does he think would make your year great? What's God's vision, his offer, his invitation for your life right now? And how will you take hold of it? New Year's is a natural time for resolutions. It's a season of new beginnings. Often people make commitments to eat better, exercise more, read through the Bible, finish that project. And we get inspired by verses like Isaiah 43, 19, where God says, see, I am doing a new thing. And we agree, out with the old, in with the new. We are people who long for things to be renewed and made right in our life and in the world. But there are several reasons why New Year's resolutions are notoriously futile and short-lived. One, we try to achieve them on our own. Two, we often don't have a plan. And three, we make our lists of changes we want without consulting God. What we desire is not consistent with what God desires for us, which is always better. We think the new thing should be the renovation of the bathroom when God is far more interested in the renovation of our, your heart. The new thing that God is most concerned about is what he's doing within you. God has a beautiful vision and desire for you, for your life and for your faith. Ask him about it. He wants you to be a better woman, a better man, a better husband, father, son, or brother a better wife, mother, 
daughter, sister, or friend. A better worker, a better student, a better Christian, because you have drawn close to Jesus. Jesus is your mentor and friend, and you are learning to live the life the way he desires you to. Pray and ask God to put within you a guiding vision of what your life with him could be like. The best place to start is with the Bible. How does the Bible describe the abundant and eternal life that we receive through faith in Jesus Christ? What he gave us through his work on the cross. When Jesus says in John 10, 10 that he came to give us life and life to the full, what does that look like? The Apostle Paul in the book of Colossians chapter 3 writes out his grand vision for life with God in this way. That you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience and joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. A life worthy of the Lord, pleasing him in every way, bearing fruit, growing in knowledge, being strengthened with power, filled with joy, and qualified to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. Now that is way more exciting than watching the Leafs win the cup. One of the questions in our sermon talking points that you can download off our website asks the question, from Scripture's perspective, and with the help of the Holy Spirit, define what the guiding vision is for your life with God at this current stage. It asks you to write down a short statement that encapsulates your vision. And keep it simple. You don't have to sound like the Apostle Paul. I tried this exercise myself a couple of years ago, and here's what I came up with at the time. Together in relationship with God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I seek to live a life of genuine friendship, loving encouragement, simple faith, and transforming influence. Now, each one of those words has a much deeper meaning for me. But that statement may not suit you. Yours will be different, and it should be. It might be as simple as, I live to praise, love, and serve God. Or, I want to live a life rooted in God's truth and overflowing with God's love. Or, I want to live my life as if Jesus was living it for me. Defining the vision is critical. In Hebrews 29, 19, the King James Version of the Bible says, Where there is no vision, the people perish. And over the years, many people have used that verse to emphasize the importance of vision in leadership. In other words, without a long-term plan, without a clear vision, people, organizations, and churches are doomed to wander aimlessly and fail. And there is truth in that. But we also need to remember that the word vision here is not about a company's mission statement or slogan. This isn't a graphic designed logo or a brand. It, it refers to a divine communication, a dream, a revelation, a prophecy from God. In simple terms, it means without God's vision for your life, you will wander aimlessly. With it, you will find life to the full. That's why this, the verse just before it in, in Proverbs 29, 18 says, Blessed is the one who heeds wisdom's instructions. So seek God's vision, his dream for your life this year. 
You have to define the win from God's perspective. What does God want for you? I can tell you it's something good. What would he put on your list that would make this year great? Then once you have the vision defined, you have to come up with a plan on how to pursue it because willpower is a very short-term motivator and without a plan, you will get lost. You will not succeed in deepening your relationship with God if you approach it in a casual manner. There needs to be an intentional commitment and some God-inspired reorganization of your life. In his book, The Life You've Always Wanted, author John Ortberg writes, there is nothing that will enrich our lives more than a deeper and clearer perspective of God's presence in the routine of daily living. The CEO of a Fortune 500 company would never try to grow an organization without some strategic planning. A coach serious about winning would never enter a season or a critical game without a strategy or plan. We understand the need for wise planning in other important areas of life, such as our education, our career, our finances. And the need is just as great in pursuing the spiritual life. Spiritual transformation cannot be orchestrated or controlled, but neither can it be a random venture. We need some kind of support or structure. We need a plan for spiritual transformation. How am I going to live out and pursue this vision God has for my life? That is what we're going to do over the next six weeks. We want to inspire you to make a plan for transformation, to develop a curriculum of Christ-likeness. We're calling our series Habitudes, and you can define it this way. Habitudes are the habits and attitudes that bring life change. They are the practices, disciplines, and rhythms that bring me closer to God and help me live the life that God desires for me. We begin today by setting up the frame, and then over the next five weeks, we're going to look at different habitudes each week with the hope of inspiring you to choose what, the, which ones you need in this season. We're going to look at just a few, and there are a whole bunch. What you need to do is ask God what he wants for you in this season of your life, because it might be different than what God wants for me. So this isn't about creating a legalistic spiritual checklist or imposing someone else's method. It's about listening and pursuing what God wants for our lives. Currently in my life, I find early morning silence and solitude with God life-giving and necessary. Getting up early and prayerfully sitting with God before I begin the day. But when our kids were little, it was a different story. They were up much of the night. And I don't think I would have gotten, up, gotten much out of an early morning prayer time. My need in that season was probably for an extra hour of sleep. And yes, sleep is a divine discipline. You can call it napio divina, divine napping. And it sounds way more spiritual that way. Sleep is critical for physical, spiritual, and emotional health. So instead, maybe you should just take time at the end of your day when the kids are in bed to quiet yourself, to review the day, to listen for God's voice and to read his word. There's a name for this whole process. Historically, when Christians sought to order the events of their lives around a growing in Christ-likeness, they, they developed what is called a rule of life. The Latin word for rule is regula. That is, something done regularly. A rule involves a rhythm for living in which you grow more intentionally connected with God. Some of you might be familiar with this term, and for some it might be new. You might hear the word rule and instantly there is a negative reaction. 
rules will restrict me and we don't like being told what to do and so you might be turned off by the term but let me try to change your perspective a little the word rule carries with it the concept of a supporting structure or a trellis and a trellis as we know is a structure that is used in vineyards and gardens and when the vine grows up the trellis it it moves off the ground and can spread out find the sun be supported from the wind bear more fruit and be more productive than it would if it was left lying on the ground the rule of life is like a spiritual trellis a prayerful pergola if you will it lifts you up helps you grow brings you closer to the sun and allows you to become more fruitful spiritually as you abide in christ simply put a rule of life is an intentional conscious plan to keep god at the center of everything we do the starting point and foundation of any rule is a desire to be with god and to love him now just a little bit of history about this whole term rule of life it emerged from the monastic movement in the third and fourth century at the time there was a revival going on in egypt and in north africa men and women were seeking to devote their lives to god and to separate themselves from the pervading influences, pressures, and temptations of the culture around them. So following the example of Jesus, they withdrew from the cities and they moved into the wilderness. They went into the desert where they lived simple lives of solitude, prayer, work, and service. They developed what they called rules of life to intentionally discipline themselves to be with God throughout the day, to see Him everywhere, and to discern his voice continuously and when you hear about the desert fathers and mothers or read their sayings it's from this time of revival but this concept goes back long before the third century i think one of the best examples comes from the bible and the life of daniel in the old testament the story of daniel goes like this the people of god were in exile both spiritually because they had strayed away from God and his ways and physically because their nation had been invaded and conquered by Babylon. Jerusalem had been taken siege and captured and they took away all the best and the brightest young men and women back to Babylon. And in captivity, there was a young man named Daniel. Daniel now faced a very different life than he had before. He was educated in the Babylonian way of life. He was taught the Babylonian religion. And he had the cultural influences of that society pressing in upon him. They even changed his Hebrew name in an effort to strip Daniel of all his spiritual identity. They removed all his spiritual history and teaching and replaced it with Babylonian thought and culture. And they surrounded him with tempting pleasures because they wanted Daniel to forget God. But he never did he had all this pressure to conform to their pattern even the king ordered him to do so but yet he remained rooted in his identity in god the question is how how could he do that the answer is he had a rule of life he didn't leave the development of his spiritual life up to chance he was intentional about it he practiced being with god daily even when the culture pressured him not to daniel 6 10 says he went home to his upstairs room where the window opened towards jerusalem three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed giving thanks to his god just as he had done before 
It didn't matter what was going on. He scheduled regular times throughout his day to seek God in prayer. It was part of his rule of life. But habitudes are not always about doing more. Sometimes they're about doing less or doing without. Again, the purpose is to bring you closer to God and help you live the life that God desires for you to live in communion with him. One of the things that Daniel gave up was eating the rich food and choice wine from the king's table. Daniel practiced fasting. Now this food would have been the very best. It would have been great for his body, but bad for his soul because it would have made him less dependent on God. So in Daniel 1.8, it says, But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. He asked the chief official, for permission not to defile himself this way. Then in verse 12, it says, Please test your servants for ten days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food. And treat your servants accordingly with what you see. So he agreed to do this and to test them for ten days. So he refused to conform to certain things that the Babylonians wanted him to. And he intentionally developed his character by spending time with God, fasting and praying to such an extent that when it came time for him to decide whether to bow down and worship the king or be thrown into the lion's den, he didn't think twice about it. His character and faith was not formed in the fire. It was formed for the fire. His work and his discipline set him up for the test. And he trusted God in the midst of it. And we see this pattern all the way through the Bible from those who seek after God. They develop this beautiful way of life that is holy, peaceable, that is centered on God's goodness, grace, and power. What if you could grow in faith to the point where you were so full of the Holy Spirit that the life and character of Jesus just flowed out of your life naturally? Imagine being able to naturally and routinely bless those who curse you as Paul did. Overcoming impulsiveness and learning to be faithful to God, as Peter did. Setting aside the busyness of life and learning to sit still at the feet of Jesus, like Mary did. Or trusting Jesus as your best friend, like John did. Imagine that more and more you could become like Jesus, because he's the greatest example of all. We become like Jesus by obeying what he taught and by doing what he did. Think through the Gospels and the life of Jesus. What are the habitudes, the activities, the practices that Jesus did that connected him with the Father and fed his soul? We find him so often in solitude. He fasted. He intentionally spent time with spiritual friends. He meditated on scripture. He memorized the Old Testament verses that would later come back to him in times of testing. Dallas Willard writes, My central claim is that we become like Christ by doing one thing, by following him in the overall style of life he chose for himself. If we have faith in Christ, we must believe that he knew how to live. We can, through faith and grace, become like Christ by practicing the types of activities he engaged in by arranging our whole lives around the activities he himself practiced in order to remain constantly at home in the fellowship of the Father. So my challenge for you as we begin this new year is to develop your own rule of life. 
What are the habitudes, the practices and disciplines and rhythms and routines that you see in the life of Jesus that you want to see in your life as well? And by the way, if you don't think you need a rule of life, know this, you already have one. Everyone does, whether they realize it or not. It's just not intentional for most of us. We don't think about it. We're not always conscious of the fact that we structure our lives around our rules of life. So instead of just letting it happen and not thinking about it deeply, the challenge is for us to be intentional, to take hold of this life that is life, abundant life and eternal life in Jesus Christ. And to help you do that, we've created a template that's available on our website that you can download. And in that template, right across the top of the page, there's a place for you to write out your vision. Remember, it needs to be informed by the Bible and inspired by the Holy Spirit. It's just a short statement that encapsulates your vision for life with God. Second, I want you to do an assessment. Take out a sheet of paper and make a bullet point list of your current activities, what you do. It's like a time audit. Take note of those things that you regularly do on an annual, quarterly, monthly, weekly, and daily basis. Then look at it. Assess it. Identify current activities that are not life-giving, that are not drawing you closer to Jesus or helping you pursue the vision that God has given you for your life. And consider what would it take to modify or remove those ongoing rhythms and habitudes. Third, begin to write your rule of life. Determine the activities and the practice you intend to keep in your ongoing rhythms. Because there's good things you're already doing. But then think if there is a habitude you'd like to add. Write them down, being careful not to overload yourself. Be realistic. Be intentional and be gracious. Remembering Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, where Jesus says, my burden is light. We've suggested five basic areas of life, spiritually, relationally, physically, financially, and missionally. If you like alliteration, you could say your time, trust, temple, treasure, and talent. Or more simply, your faith, your relationship with others, your body, your work, and your mission. You can customize it. The words don't matter, but the categories are meant to represent all of life. And I would like for you over the next five weeks to begin to start to choose some habitudes. Start to build a plan for growing in Christ-likeness. What is God calling you to do? And what is God calling you to stop doing? And when are you going to do it? Let me give you some examples. Under the faith category, you might write, I will take 15 minutes a day to read the Bible. And I'm going to focus in on the Gospels in the life of Jesus. Or you may be like Daniel, and and you're going to pray regularly throughout your day. And so you set an alarm on your phone so that regularly you're reminded that God is with you, and you bring him into the conversation of what's happening in your day. You can keep what is called the daily office. Perhaps under the weekly uh, column, you would write down the word Sabbath. A day of intentional rest and worship. Quarterly, you might choose to do a half-day retreat of silence and solitude. Maybe your habitude's as simple as trying to be 10% nicer and kinder. 
Maybe it's choosing not to always have the last word or being spontaneously generous to someone once a week. You know, this could be fun. In the body category, you could write that weekly you're going to go for a walk or get some kind of exercise. Annually, you're going to go for your, your physical with your doctor. The point is that taking care of your body is spiritual work that pleases God. And if you use the guide, remember, you're not expected to fill in all the squares. In fact, if you try it, you will be exhausted. What you might want to do is write down a number of things, and then after a couple of months, you might want to remove some of them if they don't fit with how you connect with God in this season. And remember, that's the purpose. The goal of life is to dwell in deep communion with Christ and to be firmly anchored in union with Him. But how and when and where we practice these habitudes will depend greatly on many factors, including your life stage, work, and physical capacity. If you have multiple jobs or young children or physical limitations, your rule of life should reflect those responsibilities. Maybe you should start with just one habitude of change in character to begin with. Just one. But do it for a season. And if you miss a day, don't give up. Just start again. Thomas Kempis, a monk and spiritual leader in the 1400s, wrote, If every year we uprooted a single fault, we should soon become perfect. Imagine spending this whole year getting one thing from Jesus, learning what, how he wants you to live in one area of your life. I think that would make this year great. Pick one thing and focus your energy on that. And you will make much more progress than doing that one thing than trying to do a whole bunch of different things and then giving up. I mentioned that I developed a rule of life in my own life a couple of years ago. And I routinely review it and update it. And here's what I've learned. When I was young, I could fake it. I could get by on my strength and my energy. But now, if I don't live my rule of life, I struggle. I suffer. I lack confidence and clarity. I struggle with holiness. But when I do live my rule of life, I have a much deeper sense of God's presence, his power, and his love. I have a clearer sense of his will. I have a hunger for his word. I sleep better. I worry less. I worship more passionately. And I'm nicer to be around. I'm learning each day to be a little bit more like Jesus. And my hope and my prayer is that as we walk through the series and through this year, the same thing will happen in your life as well. As we build and practice the habitudes that draw us closer to God and help us live out the dream and the vision he has for our, his life with us. Let's pray together. Oh, go, oh Jesus, thank you so much for coming to earth, not only to be our Savior, but to be our example and our teacher and our friend. Lord, we want to live life to the full. And we thank you for giving us this opportunity. Lord, I pray that you would help us as we walk through this series that, uh, to know what you're calling us to. Each of us individually and together as a community, Lord, would you put the character of Christ within us, that when people see us and interact with us, they would see a glimpse of Jesus. 
Lord, I pray that you would use our habitudes and our development of these rhythms and uh, disciplines to bring us greater freedom and joy. Lord, lead us through this series by your word and into this week, I pray. In Christ's name, amen.